Skill development, it's not an area that we discuss a whole lot about on the Coaching Culture Podcast, but our competency as a coach when it comes to being able to help our players improve technically and tactically, let's be honest, it's really important. Without competency at our sport, we can lose credibility. I mean, I just don't want to be known as a nice coach who cares about my players. At the end of the day, I want them to also know I help them to become a better player. So while we had Dave Love on the podcast last week to discuss some ways that he builds relationships, we also decided to pick his brain on skill development since he is one of the best in the world at it. And the tips he shared with us, they really apply to coaches of all sports, not just basketball. Dave's gonna share how to find that balance between technical feedback and finding creative solutions, uh, the balance between variability and linear progressions, and lastly, what to do and what not to do when a player is experiencing a slump, a dip in their performance. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast brought to you by Thrive on Challenge. I'm JP Nurbin, joined by my friend and co-host Nate Sanderson. Each week in about 30 minutes, we discuss important principles and strategies of transformational leadership. At Thrive on Challenge, we help coaches to raise the standards and strengthen the relationships in their program because we know this type of culture produces better leaders, better people, and better results. To learn more about how we can help you, go to thriveonchallenge.com, where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and get the coaching notes to every episode of this podcast. Dave, we're going to dive a little bit more into some questions specifically about kind of your teaching philosophies. And a lot of our audience is high school coaches that don't have the luxury of having a skills trainer or a shooting coach on their staff. You know, they're responsible for all the administrative tasks, the strategies, and teaching, you know, the specific techniques for their sport. We have a lot of basketball coaches that listen and lots of coaches from other sports as well, you know, that are constantly kind of forced to make decisions about how much time do I invest in growing and teaching individual technique versus our team strategy, et cetera. So I'm curious about this. I want to ask you a couple of questions that I think we run into, you know, when we present at clinics. Um, and have debates, you know, with other basketball coaches about kind of how do we balance some of these teaching demands. And I want to start with this one. And I hate using Steph Curry as an example because everybody uses Steph Curry as, you know, like the God's gift to shooting, which obviously he's a great shooter. But one of the interesting things, I think, when you watch him play is that, you know, Steph Curry is unbelievable as a standstill catch and shoot player, but also has incredible creativity. Um, and release that he uses in all kinds of different situations. And I think sometimes as coaches, we're faced with this challenge of there are specific things that maybe we want to address in a player's technique or teach in general with our team. But there's also this demand of in the game context, there's a requirement here that they have to have some creativity and some freedom to be able to figure out how to implement those. So can you speak to that dynamic a little bit from your perspective on where's the balance and what, you know, what do you recommend when it comes to technique versus kind of creative solutions? That is ultimately my job uh, right there is to figure out for each player where that is. And, and you ultimately never know. You're just constantly taking educated guesses. So I work typically with the weaker shooters. That's who shooting coaches tend to spend more time with. I won't spend time with Steph Curry. He doesn't need a shooting coach. Um, so within that, the rules of, of somebody who's a weaker shooter, 
they're a little bit different than Steph Curry's rules. Okay, Steph Curry has proven that he can get certain number of results or a certain rate of results, uh, even doing difficult things, whereas a weaker shooter can't. And so they don't get the same amount of freedom, but you are constantly battling um, how much freedom do they deserve. And ultimately the, the challenge is, is like darts, okay, we've got a close skill. We've got a, a, a skill that is just repeated almost exactly the same over and over and over again. The environment doesn't change. And in basketball, we have a closed, a semi-closed skill in a very open environment. The environment is constantly changing. And so there needs to be some creativity, but there also needs to be some repetition of the closed skill. And the balancing act of those two things is, is my job. Um, and like I said, you never, you never know the answer. You're just constantly making your, your educated best guess on where that, that midpoint between those two ideas is for each individual player. So I don't know if I've answered your question or just acknowledged that it's a hard question. Uh, but ultimately, that's, that's what you're trying to, to figure out. Well, we've had Chris Oliver on the podcast and I've done some work with Chris in his previous life a little bit too, you know, just talking a lot about a game's approach and trying to teach in the game's context. And, you know, one of the other things that I think is a, and I'm sure that you've heard this debate raging in basketball circles is, you know, how much do we focus on training technique as an isolated skill versus putting it in some sort of context with a visual cue or a defender or whatever it might be. How much of that do you, you know, again, balance in your work? Is your work more um, working on the technical aspects or is there an aspect to it where you're starting to layer in some, you know, visual cues, response to defense, that sort of thing when you're trying to build the skill of shooting? So uh, five, maybe seven years ago, I would have been far more blocked practice, um, far more linear in my progressions of drills, like we're gonna get good at this before we move on to that, we'll get good at that before we move on to the next, and then we'll get good at the next before we move on. Um, and now, uh, partly, uh, or in a huge way influenced by the teachings of Chris Oliver and, and people like him, um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting more comfortable with the variability and, earlier on like making the the early practice messier because games are messy um and not trying to control the environment uh and getting fake results early on in the process uh by just doing simple little things so i am incorporating a lot more decisions a lot more variability much much earlier on in the in the process whereas um if I'm trying to reorganize uh, somebody's motor patterns, I might not have introduced a decision until months down the road, seven years ago. Um, now I'm trying to introduce that 45 minutes into the first workout. And just a really simple decision, really simple variability, but almost right away, as soon as they show, okay, there's one good shot. That's what that's what we're trying to do. Now, can you do it in this this 
this environment where you have to make a decision on which direction should I cut? Should I go right or should I go left? Okay, and then remember to bend your wrist back or whatever the technical thing uh, that, is, that is holding their skill back. So um, yeah, try, I'm trying to, I've really changed a lot in the last, even the last two years on how I teach that. And have you seen players respond in one way or another to that, you know, those kind of evolutions in your training? Um, it's a lot more fun for them. It's still boring. It's still, um, uh, it's still really mindful practice that is still fairly slow moving, but at least they're not standing in the same spot, repeating the same movement over and over and over again. They get far more variability. Um, and, and I see more smiles early on and less like eye rolls and, uh, uh, and there's still, there were smiles before and there are spirals now, but, uh, but I think it's a, it's a more fun environment, more engaging environment for the, uh, the athlete It's more fun for me, honestly. And, uh, uh, and it's really just me as a coach embracing that messiness, uh, is probably the hardest part for me personally. As an educator, you know, somebody that is teaching a skill, can you speak to the importance of your language? And I don't mean like your profane language or lack thereof, but, you know, when you're having to describe a specific, sometimes, you know, micro movement in a player's shot, you know, or you're talking about movements on the floor, you know, that having common language with the players that you work with is so important. How, how do you kind of build a new vocabulary when you're working with a new player? Um, I start by uh, explaining things my way. Okay, and explain so that we at least know what we're talking about. I'll explain that. Okay, that position up by your forehead, we're going to call that the set point. And then, uh, and then later on, circling back and asking them, okay, what do you think? And so I'll give a cue um, on a position I want them to try and get into, and I'll, I'll try and use an analogy on what that feels like. And then I'll circle back and ask, okay, what... Uh, how do you think about that? Uh, I've explained how I think about it, but it doesn't matter how I think about it. How do you think about it? So the example uh, in Orlando, I worked with uh, Wesley Wundu when he had the habit of getting the ball back over top of his head at his set point. So we wanted to keep it more over top of his nose and out in front of his, his face a little bit more. And so I said, okay, I want you to imagine that you pressed your nose up against a pane of glass somehow the ball is able to be on the other side of the pane of glass, but the ball can't break the pane. If it if you try and bring it back over top of your head, you're going to break the glass. And so I just left him with that idea. He shot about 10 shots. He did a great job. And I said, okay, that was awesome. Fantastic. What did you think about? Like, was it the pane of glass? He says, no, it was a force field. And, uh, and so I never talked about the pane of glass again. It was always a force field from that uh, moment on. And that's part of my job that I love is I can have two players working on exactly the same habit. And if they each listen to the other person's workout, they'll have no idea what we're talking about. And we invent this little language that only makes sense. Like Tristan Thompson and I had cues, uh, I could say to him, Dominique Dawes, which is the name of a female gymnast that, that he named. And, uh, and he would know what that meant. 
I could say Grant Hill. And he knew the cue that I was trying to, to give him. Um, and we had all these kind of things. Whereas the next year I work at the Aaron Gordon, if I said Dominic Dawes to him, he would have looked at me like, what the heck are you talking about? I have no, like, it would have come out of the blue. I love inventing that language for, for each player and having that be like their special way of, of talking, shooting. Oh, that's awesome. And that's, you know, one of the fun parts about getting to know your players, right, is because you can start to use analogies that, you know, as you learn more about them, that maybe they identify with better. And I, I can see that even when working with teams where you use different kind of cues and language, you know, from year to year as they as they kind of develop with your players. Um, well, a couple more questions. Sorry to interrupt. Ultimately, like, they just put another tool in my tool belt. Like, I used to say glass. And now Wesley Wundu gave me, oh, it's a force field. Well, now that's the next time I can say to the player, hey, it's painted glass. Or maybe you think about a force field. And maybe it's the force field that he starts with. And he puts another tool in my tool belt by saying, oh, it's not a force field. It's actually this. And, uh, and they, like, they just keep giving you more ammunition to use with other players down the road to help that player find something that makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and bringing them into that progress. I mean, they're helping you to to grow as a coach too, which is awesome. I want to ask you just a couple more here before we get you out of here. You know, one of them is when you're working with players. And I again, I'm thinking of just my own context as a high school coach. You know, you have a youth development system where you're trying to grow younger kids or if you're trying to fix somebody's, you know, particular shot, whatever it might be, where it can seem like the struggle to change you know, delays the, the result or they don't necessarily see the progress in the outcome right away when you're starting to make adjustments. So how do you communicate or measure progress when the outcome, maybe their game shooting percentage doesn't change right away? I mean, you know, it's probably not Dave Love one session for 45 minutes and all of a sudden they're all stars, you know? So how do you, how do you encourage players through that process? Uh, I start by acknowledging it. And, and talking about it a lot, uh, where I'll usually start is just saying like, hey, on, on the game floor, you're going to do what you trust to get you results. But on the practice floor, we're going to be working on habits, not for next game, for three years from now. And the, the things that we're working on, they're not, there isn't going to be an immediate payoff. You're going to slowly develop. And, uh, and so just constantly reminding them, we're not necessarily practicing this to make this shot. We're practicing this to make some shot three years from now. And, uh, and just constantly reminding the long-term of the long-term goals. I think sometimes as coaches, we, because we say things so often to so many different people, we forget that we're only saying something once to that individual. And, we feel like we've said it a lot because we have, but we just haven't said it to any one person a lot. And, uh, and sometimes people need to hear a message over and over and over again before the message really gets received. And, uh, and so not to be afraid to, to keep repeating the important lessons uh, about shot selection, about, uh, about uh, being patient with your, your development. Um, so I talk about those things constantly. Um, 
and just reassure players that, and then I don't measure, I don't measure early on in their development. Uh, I don't want to, as soon as you start to measure somebody and they know they're being measured, then they forego uh, the long-term to get the short-term result. And it's not the short-term result I care about. So why would I care if in that workout, the player shot 43% versus 47%? I don't care. I'm worried about three years from now. So those are some of the factors that I kind of pay attention to. I got one more for you here, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll get you out of here. You mentioned before that you often work with the players that need the most help with shooting, you know, not mm-hmm. necessarily the best shooters. And I think one of the – sometimes one of the mentalities that those players – and I'm just speaking from my own experiences – that they sometimes get themselves in a hole that says, my coach doesn't believe in me or I'm not going to get a chance anyway. Uh, maybe it's because I can't shoot or maybe it's because I've been labeled as a poor shooter, you know, coming out of college or whatever it might be. What do you encourage guys that this growth is going to matter, you know, or that, that this isn't a way to earn an opportunity when maybe there's eight guys in front of them that have been, you know, the coach is trusted. They've been in the rotation, you know, there's all those kind of dynamics there um, that that frustration sometimes can play into a work ethic or, or confidence how do you speak to somebody in that kind of situation? Because it seems like you're working with a lot of guys that are trying to climb the ladder and earn more time. Uh, I, I think you paint a picture. You, you kind of show them, uh, and it, it can be uncomfortable in the beginning where you can say like, here's where you are now. And, and point out that, that like, you're not playing very much. Um, and I wouldn't say it this overtly, but this is basically what you're what you're saying is that uh, like you're not really trusted to make shots right now. Um, but if we can shoot seventy five percent from the free throw line, if we can just get our free throw percentage to seventy five percent, then coaches are going to start to view you as a shooter, and now all of a sudden you get trusted to shoot open threes. Okay, and then if you can shoot the open three at a 36, 37, 38% rate, then you get trusted with more. And we're just going to earn our way along. We're going to start with simple things, prove that we can do simple things, and then we'll get slowly trusted to do more difficult things in time. And, uh, and then I'll acknowledge to the player that sometimes the people closest to us are the slowest, unfortunately, to acknowledge change. And uh, I always try and prepare a player for the worst case scenario. Uh, I would hope that our head coach would be the first to acknowledge that, hey, this player has improved. I've seen improvement. I can trust them with more. But sometimes we have such, uh, such perceptions of people, especially as head coaches, that to change your perception means that we're we were wrong <laughs> and we don't like to do that as human beings even though it's uh we don't mean to the head coach doesn't go in saying that oh, i can't i can't be wrong they just it's a perception and it there needs to be a lot of evidence sometimes to change a perception of of somebody um so just acknowledging that with the player that, hey, like other people might see it before and life is unfair. I'm sorry. I wish we could, uh, I wish we could make this uh, easy for you, but there will be some moments where 
it's unfair and we'll just, we'll just keep working. That's all we can do. Well, one thing I noticed that you mentioned in that, that last answer, and I think it really does a nice job of putting a capstone on a lot of what you shared with us today is that you talked about when you're communicating with the player, you kept using the word we, you didn't say, I'm going to help you change this. You didn't say you have to do that, but you used we like, and you mentioned, you know, using proximity before to be able to communicate. No, I'm with you. We are working collectively to help you position yourself as, as you know, as well as we possibly can. But I think even the subtlety of that language um, positions you in a way that, that players realize, hopefully, that you're on their side. This isn't about Dave Love being able to put something else on Twitter or you, know, you doing the bidding of management. This is about you coming alongside the player. And right away, that simple use of the word we can be so powerful. I appreciate you using that uh, as you describe kind of your responses there. Well, and, and thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, and then trying to take, take the, pr- the pressure off the player by if there's a mistake made, uh, that was me. Um, and uh, especially when it was, like if I ask a player to do, uh, we're going to add a layer to a drill because I think they're ready. I'm taking an educated guess that they're ready and I'll discover that they weren't ready. Uh, and I've now put them in a position where they're they're now they've airballed five shots in a row because the drill that I gave them next was too hard. Just acknowledge eh, my coaching mistake. Coaches make mistakes too. That uh, that one's on me. I gave you too much. That wasn't you. That was me. Yeah, you've given us some new things to think about. You know your evolution that I just hearing this conversation. Your evolution as a shooting coach is is special. You know you've been doing it for I think 17, 18 years now. So what is the number one thing, the number one limiting belief that you held when you started off as a shooting coach that you have changed now that really potentially, I'm going to say hurt, but just, you know, definitely didn't help you when you're trying to make an impact on a, on a player's shot. Just curious. Probably trying to create just an, a relatively recent discovery trying to create too linear of an environment, get good at this before you try that and not introducing enough variability earlier. And don't get me wrong. Like I've, I helped Aaron Gordon go from 42% to 72% from the free throw line in one season. Like that's massive growth. Um, I think I could have, I think I could go back and do a better job now. Um, and, uh, Unfortunately, you'll never know because it won't be the same Aaron Gordon. It won't be the same player. It will be a di- But I'm excited by the possibility that, okay, I'm 20 years into this now, um, and I'm still growing as a, a coach. What's going to happen in the next 10 years? And that's, that's still exciting to me. So I'm glad that's happening. And that- Where can coaches find you? Where's you know, the best way to get in touch and learn more about your resources? Uh, best ways to find me, uh, Twitter and Instagram at coach Dave love. And then I've got a free, uh, shooting newsletter on coach You can sign up for that. Um, I've got, uh, probably close to 80 emails that go out to you over the course of a, uh, a year to teach you for free. Um, and then, uh, uh, th- so those will be the best ways, either social media, uh, at coach Dave love or, online on my web my website coachdavelove.com 
Thanks again to Dave Love for coming to the podcast. If you're a basketball coach, we encourage you to check out coachdavelove.com. He's got a lot of great resources out there. In the meantime, if you are a regular listener to the Coaching Culture Podcast, if you find it valuable, just take 15 to 30 seconds of your time today to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and then share a link on social media or with a friend.